0: I lied. Well, maybe I shouldn't be quite so blunt. But if you're listening to this podcast in real time, or actually whenever you're listening to it, I told you in the last episode that we were going to have one more episode with Master Adam. That one more. Got too big. So, we're going to have two more episodes with Master Adam. He's going to extend over three episodes of this podcast. His role inside the 10th of the evil pouches, the 10th of the Malabolja that make up the giant landscape of fraud is just too big. I had to break it in half, so I wasn't quite sure in the last podcast clearly what I was doing. I don't know that I lied. I just bit off more than I could chew, and I decided, no, take smaller bites. My mother would be happy. It makes me more polite. We're at Kanto 30... 30- <laughs> Inferno. (laughs) She never anticipated I'd chew up Dante. We're at Canto 30 of Inferno. We're at lines 91 through 103. This is my English language translation. As you know, it is completely poetically nonsensical. I am not trying to preserve the poetry in any way of Inferno. Rather, I'm trying to get the medieval Florentine up into modern rather colloquial English, keeping some of the Complexities of the language without worrying about its rhythm and rhyme. Dante is very concerned about its rhythm and rhyme. Get yourself a facing page translation and check that out. If you want to see my translation, it's on my website, markscarborough.com. You can read along or drop a comment there. Again, the 10th pouch of the giant, 8th Circle of Fraud, Canto 30, lines 91 through 103. Dante is going to set off after that long soliloquy from Master Adam, in which he seemed to go on forever about himself. And I to him, who are those two steaming like wet hands in the winter? The ones stretched out near your right frontier. I found. they're here, and I don't think they've ever even rolled over, he said, since the moment I rained down this sharp slope, nor do I ever believe they will for the rest of eternity. One is the woman who falsely accused Joseph, the other is the false synod. The Greek from Troy, because of their acute fever, they reek like burned grease. And the guy of the pair, who was offended perhaps at being named in such a dim way, smacked his fist against Master Adam's distended belly, which rang out like a drum. That's where we're going to stop. If you are a very smarty pants listener, you know we are stopping at line 103, which is not the final line of Dante's three-line stanzas. Instead, we're stopping on the first line of one of those tercets, those three-line stanzas, because what happens next with Master Adam and this figure sitting next to him will take up the next episode of this podcast. This is a short passage, relatively, but you know what? We can make a great deal out of it. So let's go. First, the comedy here is very low, and I want to give you two examples of the low comedy. Dante the Pilgrim says to Master Adam, who are those two steaming like wet hands in the winter? I mean, they are so febrile. Their fever is so high that they're steaming. Let me tell you, I run really high fevers at the drop of a pin. I'll jump to 103 Fahrenheit if you look at me wrong, but I have never had a fever in which I steamed. Dante says, who are they? Steaming like wet hands in the winter. The ones stretched out near your right frontier. That's a joke. If you remember, Master Adam is incredibly distended with Dropsy. He looks like an upside down lute or the back of a lute with his stomach way out there. And that he's so big, he's got a boundary. He's got his own congressional representative. That's how big he is. It really is low-course comedy at his expense, and he deserves it. What was that thing in the last episode? He went on and on forever. There came a point in that long soliloquy from the last episode where I always think to myself – Who is Master Adam talking to? Is he even cognizant that the Pilgrim is standing right there and Virgil, silent Virgil, behind the Pilgrim? Because he just seems to enjoy his own story so much about counterfeiting and dragging himself an inch every hundred years. He seems to relish every detail of that story in such a narcissistic way that it is just just that he would be the brunt of very low comedy. And there's another low bit in this, and it's the last line of the passage for this episode. And that is when this guy, Sinon, reaches out and bangs on Master Adam's distended belly, and it rings out like a drum. You remember, Master Adam is shaped like a lute. And I told you that a lute is a very high-class instrument. Well, a drum is not. A drum is a street instrument, particularly. particularly in the Middle Ages. It is not your highbrow Tony lute sonatas. In fact, a drum is mostly used in street and folk music. So Master Adam has changed from a lute to a drum and to a medieval audience. That change would sound loud. Listen, I'm not dissing any percussionists out there. I understand that percussion is a fine (laughs) set of Instruments to play. I'm telling you what it is in the socio-economic medieval context, and it's important that we see that this figure, who we reclude in, was rather high-toned. A lute has, by this point, after his long self-involved soliloquy, become nothing more than a drum. Are these people sitting to the frontier, the right frontier of Master Adam? There's two of them so named by Master Adam. And he claims that they are somehow almost even more immobile than he is. They have not changed position, rolled over. They are so sick. They are immobile. And Master Adam doesn't think they will ever move again but of course one of them does move he's at least able to strike master adam and that is a point of contention is master adam wrong about them? Or is it a kind of, what do I want to say, slapstick moment that it's set up? We shouldn't anticipate they're moving. And then suddenly the male of the pair of them moves quickly and bashes Adam in the belly. Is that what's going on? Unclear there whether Adam has got it wrong or whether in fact they can still just move a little bit. So who are they? One, is the woman who falsely accused Joseph. This is Potiphar's wife. The story is in Genesis 39, verses 6 through 20. Joseph, the prized son of Jacob, is now In Egypt, he has been sold by his brothers, Joseph of the many colored coat, has been sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt because they didn't like it that he was his father, Jacob's favorite. Joseph rises up as a servant in the house of Potiphar who is clearly connected to Pharaoh's court. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph Joseph refuses the seduction, runs off, and then she lies to Pharaoh saying that Joseph tried to seduce her. This is a rather famous liar, a liar who herself is embarrassed because she's turned down for her sexual favors, but a liar in front of a royal court, the Pharaoh's court. That's the first of the two. The other is equally luminous in his hair. The other is the false Sinon. This is the Greek who allowed himself to be taken prisoner by the Trojans. In the Aeneid, Sinon is taken prisoner by the Trojans willingly. Uh, They don't know it's willingly. Sinon plays this game. And once they get him as their prisoner, he oils his way into the Trojan court and then persuades them to open the gates and accept the wooden horse this is that lying guy who let the greeks destroy troy and if you remember Dante is following the Aeneid. The Romans are the descendants of the Trojans. So this is a very wily Greek, maybe even more wily than Ulysses, and who brings about the destruction of Troy. They both are steaming with a fever in the Middle Ages commentaries of comedy. This is considered a fever of the blood. It is thought that extraordinarily high fevers are caused by an elevation of temperature in the blood. It's not exactly off. They're not caused by your high temperature is a symptom of something that's going on. But in the Middle Ages, in terms of medicine, what they believe is that you are burning up in your blood and that's why you're running a particularly high fever. So we have a fourth disease in this pit. We had leprosy, we had rabies, we had had dropsy, and now we have a fever in the blood, an extraordinarily high fever. And we have four different kinds of falsifiers, alchemists, impersonators, counterfeiters, and now rank liars, particularly people who give false testimony in court. This isn't just lying. And I see in some of the modern commentary, the tradition, people say, oh, these are the liars. No, this is a little more severe than that. These lies are told in court. And the results of these lies are not lying to your neighbor and saying, "Mm, you know, yeah, I promise I'll cut my lawn tomorrow and then you don't do it or something, I don't know, I I don't know, making up some little white lie to your neighbor. These are big lies. This lie causes big problems for Joseph. Joseph is there essentially to save his brothers and family once they get to Egypt in terms of God's plan. But this lie causes all kinds of faltering in that plan. And of course, this lie from Sinon, brings about the entire destruction of the Trojan civilization. These are big lies. This is false testimony in court, in a royal court. Don't think court judges like we have in North America or modern-day France or (laughs) modern-day Germany, but think high kingly courts and lying inside that court. But there's more here even than that. Think about who we're looking at. We're looking at Adam. Now, I realize this is Master Adam, but his name is Adam. We're looking at Sinon, and we're looking at Potiphar's wife. We're looking at the beginnings of things, Adam in his weird riff off the rivulets of his home, his Edenic take on where he was from before he began counterfeiting the false Adam that he is that we talked about. Sinon. We are at the very roots of Western civilization, if you follow Virgil. This is the destruction of Troy and ultimately the founding of the Roman Republic and, for Virgil, the Roman Empire. So we're at the very beginnings of people, of Western civilization, and Potiphar's wife with a very beginning of that story of the Exodus in which Joseph saves his brothers from starvation when they finally make it down to Egypt because he is so highly placed, because he has been able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams even from jail. He has been able to do what he can do. So So we're at the very start, and I don't want to push this too far, but still the very start of the Judeo-Christian redemption story. I I realize if you are Jewish, you don't find much comfort in Judeo-Christian story of redemption, but think about it in terms of how Dante would see it. We are at the very edge of that Exodus story. We're at the edge of Western civilization. We're at the edge of humanity itself. We are nearing the center of hell, which, as I've told you, is the center of the entire universe. Down here, we are finding ourselves with the beginnings of things. And more even than the beginnings of things, because Sina and Potiphar's wife are also connected in parallel ways. And here's how. They both function as Giant pieces of the history of two chosen people. For Virgil, the Trojans, who are chosen by the gods to form the Roman Republic and ultimately Empire. Potiphar's wife, who is there at the start of the new Israelite consciousness that is formed by the Exodus story that is celebrated at Passover, at Pesach, every year in many homes, including including my own. We are at the beginnings of the stories of two chosen people. So we are way back. We're hearing foundational stuff go on. Isn't it wild that this high-level foundational stuff is found inside of low comedy? The one stretched out on your right frontier bangs out like a drum when he gets smacked. Even that bit that Master Adam says, their acute fever makes them reek like burned grease. It's so low, dealing with very high-level things, as we are down there toward the center of hell. See, that was enough for one episode of the podcast. We didn't need to go on. No, it would have been too much to go on to the next passage. So you will just have to subscribe. Do that. Subscribe to this podcast. Rate this podcast. or oh, I- Really appreciate a rating. Thank you very much for doing that. Even a rating like a great podcast does wonders for the analytics. And again, I'm doing this under my own steam, so I appreciate it at every turn from you. Thanks for being part of this walk. Thanks for being here for the laughs. <laughs> Somebody who's so fat they have a frontier, as well as for the intense philosophical notions that start to erupt near the center of everything and it's gonna go on in the next episode of walking with dante i'm mark scarborough i'll see you then